Hello my friends, welcome back to Gardo Goes Geek. On today's episode, just a quick little review um, for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I've seen it, I have thoughts about it, I want to articulate those without waiting for a full episode. So, here we go. So at this point, I think my thoughts are out there on this podcast in various places, various episodes, um, regarding pretty much every Marvel project that we've had so far. There are a couple from late last year that I haven't covered at time of recording this. Um, I am planning to in one of the upcoming episodes that I'm still finishing off, um, where I talk about Wakanda Forever, Werewolf by Night, She-Hulk, that sort of thing. Um... Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is the latest Marvel project. It is ostensibly the launch of Phase 5. That's how Marvel are marketing it. Um, That's how they revealed it would be treated. Um, Having watched it, I think it's, it's okay. I mean, it's a... The, the problem is... You know, I, I freely admit I am the um, the audience for Marvel. Like, I am a long-time Marvel fan. I've been a huge fan of the Marvel comics for decades at this point. Um, and I'm fully aware that I am the target audience for this. Um, you know, being an established fan who cares about the continuity, who cares about these characters. And so, for me, it's... I really enjoyed it. It's been quite divisive. A lot of reviews have been very mixed. Um, but not having gone in-depth in the reviews as yet, I wonder if a lot of the reviews are simply that people are getting tired of the formula or maybe we're expecting a different movie. Um, and the reason for that is... Because of how this has been marketed as something huge and very impactful to the the series, and the fact that, you know, we've had a lot of Marvel projects now all doing very specific things, um, sorry, doing very similar things, I should say, um, you know, the, the Marvel films do follow a formula, and it's a formula that works. It's a formula that gives generally solid B movies, um, by which I don't mean B movies, but like a B grade movie. Um, you know, the Marvel films are all fine. Occasionally you get one that is spectacular, like, uh, the winter soldier or Ragnarok or infinity war. But for the most part, most of them are just fine. Um, and I think it's very rare that there's a bad movie. Even things like Eternals, which was the most divisive one up until this point, I don't think was bad. It was fine for what it was. It it was trying to do some things very differently from the standard Marvel formula, if anything, Eternals, and probably paid the price for that. Um, as it is, Ant-Man and the Wasp... It's fine. It's, it's you know, Quantumania is a pretty good film. It's very CGI heavy. Um, it uses the volume 
um, the the filming technique which has been established on the Disney Star Wars projects, specifically the Mandalorian and Kenobi, the the environment that gives like an active CGI background um, that reacts to the camera. Personally, I think it works. It, you know, it does mean you have a lot of virtual sets, a lot of green screen, um, which obviously becomes somewhat contentious. But with how Quantumania is being framed, it works. Quantumania is being framed as, as very much a fantasy film. And there are sets in it as well. Like, even with the volume, there are sets, and some quite large sets, some quite extravagant sets. Um, so it's not just the volume all the time. You know, there is other stuff going on. One criticism I will raise towards it, though, is that while it's very much focused on the character of Scott Lang, Ant-Man, um the Wasp feels a bit more like a side character. Um, and considering her name is on the, the title, I feel like it would have been nice if she'd have been given more of a role. However, um, the original Wasp, Janet Van Dyne, played by Michelle Pfeiffer, does get quite a lot to do. There's, um, you know, there's some very good emotional moments for her character. Um, which are a lot of fun and quite nice to see um, because obviously she doesn't appear until towards the end of the previous Ant-Man and the Wasp film, so she hasn't really had a lot of chance to show herself off. Um, so that was quite cool. And, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer is a great actress, so, you know, having her in, in a role and getting a chance to do something was great. It's a lot of fun. Obviously, Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, Quantumania, is a sequel to the first, both the first Ant-Man movie, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, Avengers Endgame, and also Loki Season 1, although I don't think you would need to have seen the first season of Loki to enjoy this. Um, whereas, obviously, some recent Marvel projects, um, especially Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Badness, it's felt very much like you will be missing some things if you haven't seen WandaVision. Now, part of that is because of the environment a lot of these films were being made in. Um, you know, when COVID was happening, like WandaVision couldn't pick up for reshoots um, due to COVID. Multiverse of Madness and Thor Love and Thunder, as well as uh, Quantumania, were all filming during covid they were all hit by restrictions they were all hit by the second wave where they had production broken and you know that's definitely had an impact you know anyone who said it hasn't would quite clearly be lying um you know all these films have been impacted due to covid and in some cases you know, they've come together really well despite this. Uh, Wakanda Forever is a great example of that. You know, it was filmed during COVID, but it's a very good, very solid film. Um, 
some of them are a bit jumbled due to script rewrites and changes and maybe things that couldn't be done. Um, and that's that's more true of Love and Thunder and Multiverse of Madness. Um, based on their deleted scenes, there was a lot that was changed uh, as the films were being made. Um, Quantumania doesn't feel like that. Quantumania does feel um, very tightly put together. Um, you know, the plot is is fine. The main criticism, I suppose, for something that is a sequel to the first two Ant-Man movies is that it's very self-contained, by which it means the previous films had quite a large supporting cast. Um, you know, there was Scott um, and Hope, the Wasp, um, and then obviously Hope's father, Hank, but there was also um, Scott's daughter Cassie, his um, his ex-wife Maggie, Maggie's new partner that I've forgotten the name of at this point, um, and then his friends um, Lewis and Kurt and Dave, um, who were all working at XCon, um, you know, and helped him in the heist and things like that. And unfortunately, pretty much all of those characters all of those characters are missing. Um, you know, the, the five characters who reappear from previous films are Scott, Hope, Hank, Janet, and Cassie. And that's it. And that's because this film pretty much takes place almost entirely within the quantum realm, um, which is essentially an elaboration of the comics microverse. Now, I don't hate this as a decision. I think it works for the film, and I think they present a very visually interesting world. Um, and, you know, to me, there was no huge need to revisit some of those previous characters. Um, you know, we've seen... Uh, you know, Lewis, Dave, and Kurt got their they got the XCOM business up and running in the last movie. That was their plot through that, and, and you know, it ended quite nicely. Uh, you know, there's no huge need to see those characters, to see that their concepts brought back in this movie. Um, but it would be nice to see them again somewhere else down the line, perhaps. Um, you know, maybe a second season of She-Hulk might feature XCOM, you know, and have Lewis in that. I think that would work really well. Um, rather than necessarily appearing here. Although there is a quick cameo by Jimmy Woo um, in this. Um, it's a non-speaking cameo, and it's very early in the film. But it maybe would have been interesting if that had been Lewis, for example. Um, but I think if Lewis had appeared and not spoken, people would still be criticising it almost as much as the fact he didn't appear at all. Um, because part of Lewis's... Charm was Michael Pena's line delivery and the stories he told as the character. And so to have the character but not have him speak, I think, would be just as derided. So I think it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, that said, I think the movie's fine. Weirdly, the, the movie made me think of uh, Aquaman when I watched it. Um... Aquaman 
takes place obviously exploring these these undersea kingdoms you know atlantis and um you know all the different seven kingdoms underneath the ocean and you know it's a very fantastical world that you're sort of made privy to through the main characters and there's a lot of that in this movie you know this is this is very much a fantasy sci-fi exploration style story um you know there's there's these gorgeous worldscapes and and vistas and strange creatures and this all these interesting characters and their political situations that were kind of thrust into the middle of and then of course it's anchored by the main villain who was spoiled in the trailer but you get the feeling in the original movie um perhaps would have been someone used almost as like a surprise villain um in fact, that's true of both of the villains in this. There's there's two main villains. There's first of all, there's Modok, who is mechanized organism designed only for killing, um, and is revealed to be um, the character of Darren Cross from the first Ant Man movie, who wound up in the quantum realm after the battle in that, where he was turned into the character of Modok, and again that's something i've also seen people deriding the the especially the special effects for modok um because modok is essentially a giant head with tiny arms and legs sticking out the side and you know there are points where you see modok's face and it's it's literally cory stoll's face animated on a giant head um i th personally think it's fine it looks it looks exactly like how Modoc would look in live action. I don't think there's any other way you could do that effect without it looking a bit goofy. Um, it's like some of the stretching effects in Fantastic Four, you know, in, in the old Fantastic Four movies. There's only, you know, some things just look unnatural, no matter how you try and pull them off. And, you know, any sort of body warping is something that looks unnatural to a human eye. You you can tell it's fake, you know, seeing a body stretched like that. You know, seeing a giant head. You know, you can tell it's fake, but it's, it's still a real face. It's an animated real, you know, it's a filmed real face put over you know, this giant CGI head. It works well enough for what it is, and it looks like Modoc. Um, and again, Darren Cross has been spoiled on the posters and on the trailers, revealing him as Modoc, um, which is how people are aware of this. You know, and you get the feeling that was meant to be a surprise in the movie, because, you know, Modoc appears after they've been in the quantum realm for a bit. And then not long after we have the after we're introduced to modok and and we reveal who he is we then get introduced to the conqueror who has been spoken of but we haven't actually met yet and this is jonathan majors's kang now jonathan majors appeared in loki season one he played the character of he who remains 
and he spoke about a multiverse of war and how as a result of that multiverse of war there were versions of him that destroyed entire multiverses and so he destroyed the multiverse and created the TVA to prevent variants of him existing and you know this reveals that that Kang is one of those variants and one that you know it's quite clearly shown that we should be scared of we should be threatened by you know he's clearly shown as being someone dangerous someone who has threatened entire multiverses and you know it's revealed that he has this this history with the quantum realm and you know he was that he's been down there for some time And he's the main villain, and he's a great main villain. He's a lot of fun. Um, I think his introduction works really well. His costume looks absolutely incredible. Um, and yeah, he's a he's a threat, like a palpable threat. Um, you know, not just physically like Jonathan Majors has obviously recently done Creed 3 and you know if the the trailer for Creed 3 showed before Ant-Man and the Wasp but I've seen the trailer already anyway so I know the physical shape he was in for that but having that kind of reinforced to your audience just before this movie plays is is quite good because you know that underneath that suit he is ripped um and yeah, he's he's a lot of fun in this. He's very charming. Um you know, when he wants to be, but also very threatening at the right moments as well. And you know, physically threatening as well as you know, intimidating. And I think he works really well. The main the other main addition to the cast is Catherine Newton, who has become the third actress to play Cassie Lang. Now, Cassie in the first two Ant-Man films, especially the second one, was one of my favourites. Um, the child actress that they got to play her was very good. You know, she she felt like a genuine kid. Uh, obviously, she was a genuine kid, but, you know, she she played that role very well. That I, I really bought the connection between her and Scott. I think the trailers for this movie are kind of... <sighs> perhaps overselling um you know scott's arc regarding cassie um in this movie because there's not quite as much of it as there is in the trailer um like for example the scene where he pulls out the phone and it's got the picture of young cassie as his screensaver that's not in the movie at all um you know he does pull out the phone but it's someone else calling him. It's not Cassie, and it's not that picture. You know, that picture might be on his phone, but it's not as we see it. Um, so, you know, there, there's definitely some trailer editing. And I, like I said, 
Kang as well. Kang's reveal seems to have been something that was added into the trailers, while clearly meant to have been something that was more hidden for the movie. I wonder if this is because... I wonder if they're doing this because Jonathan Majors was announced as being part of this a long time ago. Like, you know, his his addition to the movie wasn't a shock. Everyone knew he was going to be in this. It was his reveal in Loki season one that was the shock. That was what people weren't expecting. Um, you know, he was he was added as Kang the Conqueror explicitly. Um, when the movie was announced uh, that they were doing Quantumania, he was going to be the main villain. He was going to be Kang the Conqueror. You know, this was revealed some time ago. And so I wonder if, you know, that was an official reveal. And I wonder if how the trailers for some recent films have been, is that why perhaps they decided to go all out with revealing him in the trailer for this because for example if you look at no way home everyone kind of knew that the returning actors were in no way home like it had been leaked it had been revealed it had been speculated for months and you know gra gradually they released they revealed the villains um specifically um uh Green Goblin, Doctor Octopus, and Sandman. But, like... Oh, and uh, Jamie Foxx's Electra as well. But it's like... People... Already kind of had a strong suspicion... That... You know, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield were in it. But they kept that hidden. And while I think it works there... I don't know. I'm 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 not sure why. Because it seems like as you watch the movie, it seems like Kang's reveal is meant to be a sudden, unexpected thing. But he's on the posters. He's on the trailers. We know he's in the movie. We know who's playing him. We know who he is. We've already seen this character before. We've seen this this actor as a variant of this character already. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a confusing marketing thing, that one. Um, I will say there's a couple of things I want to talk about which you could probably count as spoilers. Um, so, yeah, I'll probably get to those. Oh, I, I got off topic, didn't I? I was talking about Catherine Newton as Cassie. Cass she's brilliant. I, I really like her. Um, I think she she works very well. Again, I buy her relationship with Scott. I buy her relationship with Scott a bit more than the um, the actress who played her in Endgame. I, I didn't really buy them as much. So, um, some little bits that I suppose count as spoilers... Um, it's revealed that Janet met Kang while she was stuck in the quantum realm and she actually helped him, um, you know, sort of, you know, get his ship working again. Um, and he tried to say that he would help her get back home to hope. Um, but then she saw 
you know, his history as, as a tyrant, as a conqueror, and decided to oppose him. I thought that was all pretty cool. I thought it was a great, you know, hero moment for, for Janet and sort of explained that kind of she was responsible. Like, she sort of sees Kang as kind of her responsibility. It does kind of create a slight plot hole with... Um, with Ant-Man and the Wasp's post-credit sequence where they send Scott back into the quantum realm um, to find the... To, to get the particles that Ghost needs to survive. However, you could possibly argue that this is an area of the quantum realm that we've not seen before. Like, even when Hank rescued Janet, you know, the area she was in didn't look like this. In fact, if anything, it looked slightly better than this. Um, you know, the quantum realm in Ant-Man and the Wasp looks much more vibrant and kind of a bit more of a head, you know, something that's going to mess with your head than uh, this does. There's also no explanation of, a, of any of the weird powers that uh, Janet seemed to have at the end of the last movie. Although maybe they only linked with Ghost because of her exposure to that realm. But, I don't know. Um, you know, there's, there's some moments in this where if she did have powers, they would have come in quite handy. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the plot hole, if there is one, um, seems to be... You know, why they sent Scott back to the quantum realm to get things for ghosts. But you could argue that maybe they're in a different part of the, the quantum realm. Maybe they haven't shrunk down quite so small. Um, because they shrunk down quite a lot. Um, at the You know, as they get dragged into the quantum realm at the start. There's also no real heist in this movie. Um, not in the same way that there is in the previous two. Um, you know, the first Ant-Man was very much a heist movie. There's a heist, there's what, a couple of heists almost in the second one. Um, I do think Ant-Man and the Wasp is a bit more of a joint, disjointed film anyway, in a lot of respects. Um, but, you know, this, this is a bit more solid than that is. Um, it's a bit more focused on the characters and what they're all doing but there's no heist um the closest you really kind of get to a heist is um the moment where kang recruits scott to get him back the piece he needs for his machine and that involves all the shots in the trailers of the multiple ant-men um but it's not quite a heist as some very funny moments and some quite heartfelt moments, but it's not a heist, not in the same way. There's no real plan to it. There's no none of the sort of heist trappings. Um, Modok and Kang are great. Um, Modok, I think, gets quite a bit to do. Um, his last lines are quite funny as well. Um, Kang, yeah, Kang is just cool. And, and I really doubt that this is the last we have seen of that variant of Kang. Um, 
it's kind of implied that it is towards the end of the film, but I no, I don't buy it. <laughs> um, like I said, Wasp doesn't seem to have much to do. There's a bit of an ominous ending, um, and there's also the the post credits, uh, the little will return stinger i don't know if anyone else pays as much attention to these as i do everyone seems to talk about the post credit sequences but to me one of the most interesting parts of the mcu um ever since uh well i think iron man 3 was the first one where i really noticed it change is the little x character will return at the end of the films, because Iron Man 3, it doesn't say Iron Man will return, it says Tony Stark will return, sort of suggesting that he's moving beyond Iron Man. Um, which, you know, bears some weight the next time we see him, you know, the idea that he, he did step away from being Iron Man for a while. And then, of course, some of the other films have done similar sort of things. So, like... Captain America Civil War ended with a stinger that said Spider-Man will return. Not Captain America, not Iron Man, not any of the main characters, but Spider-Man. Um, you know, th uh, Thor Ragnarok, you know, was Thor will return in Infinity War. Um, Infinity War was Thanos will return. Um, you know, so it always seems to be the third film in whatever trilogy uh, is doing something different. Um, and in this one it's Kang will return not Ant-Man will return not the Wasp will return Kang will return and you know the post credit sequences bear that out the post credit sequences feature Jonathan Majors playing multiple variants of Kang you know specifically Immortus Ramatut the Centurion um Victor Timely. Um, there's even a little clip from um, Loki Season 2 suggesting that he's going to have a, a bigger role in that. So, yeah, it looks very, very interesting. Um, and has some great potential for the future. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more of this character and more of what he could do. I mean, Jonathan Majors. All of his, all of the variants we've seen so far feel different. Like Kang does not feel like he who remains. There are differences there. They're subtle. There's a lot of similarities. They are still variants of the same person, but there are differences. I also thought this was the best movie that gave Michael Douglas something to do. Um, you know, Michael Douglas hasn't had much to do as Hank Pym in the previous movies. This movie gives him something to do, gives him some quite interesting moments, which just makes it more annoying that Wasp is so underutilized. Like, Hope Van Dyne does not... Like, she gets some, she gets some action roles, um, but she doesn't really get any big emotional stuff to do um and yeah like i said a lot of the a lot of the aspects that sort of seem to be hinted at in the trailer where kang's suggesting that he'll um you know give cat 
give Scott the time back with Cassie, you know, using the bits of footage from the previous movies. None of that's in here. Um, like, the, those, the flashback scenes aren't. There are elements of, you know, I can give you the time back. Um, but it's more, you know, Kang sort of makes that promise with Janet when he's trying to get her on side, not with anyone else. Not not really with Scott. Um, but there is still some element of the the relationship there. Like I said, I like Catherine Newton in the role. I like that, you know, they've their relationship feels real. It feels honest. It feels like you know, a parent of a teenager who's missed some time because he's been away. But so, yeah, I enjoyed it. Do I think it's... It feels like the start of a phase? I don't know. What does the phase of Marvel feel like? Um, you know, to me, the only phase which has really felt the cohesive... For, for want of a better term, has been phase one. Phase one was clearly building towards the Avengers, which it did, um, and did brilliantly. Phase two was kind of dealing with the aftermath of the Battle of New York and, you know, the fact that the heroes had been established, but then the final film was Ant-Man, you know? Phase three started with Civil War, which broke the Avengers up, but then went on to introduce a whole load of new characters, you know, as it was, you know, doing Guardians Volume Two, doing Doctor Strange, doing Spider Man, doing Black Panther before we really got Thor, or 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 sort of any of those characters again. Um, and yes, it ends with Infinity War and Ant Man and the Wasp, Captain Marvel, and Endgame, but there's a big part in the in the start of phase three which is very muddled um and phase four again a lot of people have said it they're not really sure what it's doing a lot of phase four has felt like closing out the story arcs for the older generation of heroes dealing with the aftermath of the blip um you know we've seen that in thor love and thunder we've seen it in wakanda forever we've seen it in hawkeye um we've seen it in doctor strange we've seen it in wandavision uh, we've seen it in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And a lot of that is still true here. The only argument that you could say that makes this feel different is that it is focused on the multiverse, focused on these variants of Kang, you know, sort of building on the plot thread from Loki season one. But... I don't know. I think it's too early yet to say what phase five is going to be like what it's going to feel like which like i said feels such a, like such a bizarre quantifier because like i said the most together phase in my opinion is phase one and phase one is not all good quality like iron man 2 is awful thor is okay but not great um incredible hulk is again okay but not great um, you know, in fact, you could probably, you know, if you're doing it as a rewatch, you could probably skip most of Phase One. Maybe watch Iron Man because it's a pretty good quality movie. Maybe watch Captain America 
but if you wanted to, you could just watch Avengers. You don't really need the rest. Whereas I think for the meta plot going forward, Quantumania is going to be important. And yeah, it ends on quite a, an ominous note. You know, that Scott's final narration suggests that yeah, there's worse to come than Kang. Because um, that's, that's the thing as well. Kang is exiled into the quantum realm by his variants. And he implies that they are worse than he is. But then, of course, the, the Council of Kangs that all comes together at the end, you know, Immortus, the Centurion, the Ramatut, they are aware of the Avengers and aware of the Avengers knowing about them. So, there's a lot of interesting potential here. And, yeah, I'm interested. I'm excited for Kang Dynasty. The person writing Kang Dynasty is the Jeff Loveness who wrote this. Um, he's also written some very, very good episodes of Rick and Morty. He knows the sort of time-bendy stuff, and he does that very, very well. Um, so, yes, I'm interested to see what he's going to put in Kang Dynasty. I think it could be a lot of fun. Um, he's teased that there might be quite a high body count. Um, thing is, whenever they tease that after Infinity War, a lot of people are going to be like, well, how many of them are going to really stick? But there are a lot of heroes on the table now. Counting all the new ones, counting all the old ones, there's a lot of heroes on the table. They could quite comfortably kill several major characters. And Infinity War, as much as as many characters actually survived that, but across Infinity War and Endgame, I think four or five major characters died. You know, there was Loki, there was Heimdall, there was the Vision, twice. Um, Black Widow, and then Captain America is written out as well, and Iron Man. You know, so... You know, I know, I know a variant of Loki came back, but it's not the same Loki. It, the Loki that we've been following died. Gamora died. You know, again, Gamora's come back, but it's not the same Gamora. Same with Vision. So, there's potential for more characters to die, even if variants stick around in the future. So, we'll see how it goes. But yeah, Quantumania... What did you think about it? I'd, I'd love to, to hear anyone else's thoughts. I'm probably going to do more reviews like this now rather than doing full episode, just talk for a bit and, and give my thoughts. Thoughts for this were a bit more rambly. I think there's a, the thing with Marvel is there's a lot to pass for the future um, and what things all mean and how they slot together. Um, than there is for some other stuff. I think my next big review is going to be Star Trek Strange New Worlds because I finally got around to watching that and it's very good and I just want to gush about it for a little bit. Um, but yeah, until next time, everyone. Thank you, my friends, for once again joining me on Gardo Goes Geek. Your continued support for this podcast means the absolute world to me and I am grateful for every single one of you who stays and listens to one of my episodes. It means the absolute world. Now, 
if you would like to engage more with me or the podcast we have a discord community small but growing and and we now have commissions open on ko-fi so if there's a topic you would like to see me cover you can pay me to cover it all funds will be used for legal purchase of the relevant items where I do not have them. Have a look on the link tree for more information. Until next time, look after yourselves.